welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on February 19th, 2017, on the basis of Matthew 6, verses 24 through 34. So I heard a pastor tell a story about a time when he was doing a series of Bible studies on the seven deadly sins. If you've heard of that list before, you maybe know that that the seven deadly sins are are not some list that's taken directly from the Bible, but the thought is that these seven root sins are sort of the cause of of every other sin and at the heart of every other sin that we might commit. If you're familiar with that list at all, you maybe know that one of the seven deadly sins is greed. In other words, on that one Sunday where he would be talking about greed, this pastor would be talking a whole lot about money. And so when his wife found this out, she felt the need to warn him. She said, if you tell everybody that you're going to be talking about that money, no one is going to show up. And sure enough, she was right. Even though on on the other six classes, all those people were willing to, to have very pointed, very direct, very personal talks about those specific sins, at the one class where they talked about money, the, the fewest number of people showed up. Why do you suppose that is? I suppose we could ask that question in a slightly different way and say this, that if if you knew that today in church we were going to be talking all about money, would you have come? Would you have been as eager to come as you normally are? And if not, why not? I'm guessing we could come up with all kinds of answers to that question. The pastor who told that story actually had an explanation and an answer that he thought was the answer to that question. And in the words that we'll be looking at from the Sermon on the Mount today, Jesus has an answer to that question as well. But before we dive into those words, I want to reiterate something that I said to you last week, that as we look at these various sections of the Sermon on the Mount, including the one in front of us today, the one that talks all about money, it's not simply that Jesus is showing us the morally correct way to, to live, although it's certainly that. It's really that Jesus is also showing us the best way to live. The way to live in which he promises over and over again that we will be blessed, just like he promised in that opening section called the Beatitudes. The way to live in which we will also then be the greatest blessings to the people around us, just as he promised when he said, you are the salt, you are the light of the world. In other words, as as we look at the uncommon sense that permeates the Sermon on the Mount. It's not simply so much that this is the life that we should have or that we ought to have or that we better have or that we have to have, but, but hopefully it's also the life that we want to have, the life that we long to have. So if I do my job that morning, you'll, the, the, if I do my job this morning, you'll also be convinced about that very thing. As we look at the section of Jesus' words in front of us today, his words that talk about the control of money. It's probably worth stating at the outset that money in and of itself is neither morally good nor morally evil, but like a lot of things, Satan uses money to try to control us, to try to win our hearts away from God. In fact, in these verses, Jesus describes money almost as if it is a person, almost as if it is a voice who is right alongside of and right in competition with God saying, I want your heart, I want you to follow, I want you to serve me. Jesus puts it this way. He says, no one can serve two 
Masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, maybe that seems a bit obvious, but really what Jesus is doing is he's kind of giving us a glimpse into the strategy that money uses to try to lure our hearts away from God. You see, normally temptations come to us sort of as an either-or proposition. Either you can follow and love and obey God by doing this, or you can kind of turn your back and distance yourself from God by doing that. It's either one or the other. But Jesus is saying money comes at us in a little bit of a different way. The temptation presented by money comes at us as a both and money's strategy to win our hearts away from God is not to say, I want you to serve me instead of serving God. Instead, it says, I want you to serve me in addition to serving God. And that's why very often it's, it's difficult for us to see whether or not we are under the control of money. In fact, that was the explanation that the pastor gave as to why no one showed up at the Bible class where he was talking about money. It wasn't that the topic was too personal. It wasn't that they were defensive about how they spent their money. It's just that as they looked at those seven deadly sins, they thought this was the one area where they didn't need any help. In fact, it's probably also the reason why, out of all the sins that anyone has ever come and talked to me about as a pastor, out of all those sins where they've said, Pastor, I need forgiveness for this, or I need encouragement and help for that, never once has it been for the sin of loving money. It's probably also why, even if we just kind of pulled the room this morning, and if all of us were being completely honest with ourselves, and I said, how many of you struggle with the sin of pride? Or how many of you struggle with the sin of lust? How many of you struggle with being envious of what other people have or of losing your temper when you get upset? If we were being honest, I'm guessing a lot of hands would go up in the air, including my own. But if I said, how many of you struggle with loving money? How many of you are under the control of money. How many of you are greedy, greedy people? I'm guessing most of the hands would stay down, including my own, even if we were being completely honest. It's really genius the way that, the way that money comes at us and the way that money tempts us. Again, it doesn't say you must turn your back on God to follow me. It says, no, you can serve me in addition to serving God. And that's why so often it's so very difficult for us to see whether or not we are in control of, under the control of money. And that's why Jesus has to point out the obvious. He says, you can't serve both. It's got to be one or the other. And that's why Jesus goes one step farther and says, here are the symptoms to let you know whether you're under the control of money. What does it look like when someone is in control, under the control of money? Jesus says this, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? And the body, more important than clothes, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Did you catch it? The surefire symptom that lets you know that you are under the control of money is that your life is full of worry. And that's really true for two reasons. First of all, worry demonstrates that we are putting our trust in our, in our safety, our protection, and our survival. We are putting that trust in money. 
we're saying to ourselves, if, if only I have enough food, enough clothing, enough shelter, if only I have the best health care that money can buy and the best home security system that money can buy and the best arsenal and personal store of ammunition that money can buy, I will be safe, I will survive. The flip side of that, of course, is that we are also withdrawing that very same trust and taking that very same trust away from God. We're looking at what we have, we're doing a little quick math in our heads, and we're saying there is no way that God can possibly help me survive in these circumstances. And Jesus points out how utterly ridiculous that is. This is the God who made heaven and earth. This is the God who owns everything that they contain. This is the God who feeds every bird of the air and clothes every flower in the field, even though neither one of them have gotten a college education. Neither one of them have put together a sparkling resume or LinkedIn profile. Neither one of them pick up overtime shifts. Neither one of them diligently save 10% so that their 401k is full of money when they retire. And yet, God provides. Worry is a surefire symptom that you are under the control of money. And Jesus' whole point is that it's not only sinful, it's completely ridiculous. So I don't know about you, but when I, I look at my life and ask the question, well, how, how much worry do I have? It's not pretty. Probably more than I'm even aware of. And so if that symptom is so prevalent in my life, how do I, how do I get free from it? How does Jesus set us free from the control of money? Well, since we're looking at these words from the Sermon on the Mount, it shouldn't surprise us one bit that Jesus' strategy for setting us free from the control of money can be described as uncommon sense. Like I said, it's really genius what, what money does. Money says, you don't have to turn your back on God. You don't have to abandon your faith. Just serve me in addition to serving God. But Jesus says the exact opposite. He says you can't have it both ways. It's got to be one or the other. But then look at the lengths to which he goes to make sure that, that the one to whom our hearts belong is him. That really comes out in these verses in the specific phrase that Jesus uses to refer to God. In the Sermon on the Mount, he uses this phrase over and over again, and in these verses, he uses it two times. When he refers to God, he doesn't just call him God. He doesn't call him Lord. He doesn't call him the big guy up in the sky who's in control of everything and, and will make sure that we have everything that we need. No, he, he calls him your heavenly Father. So much contained in those words, and yet here's, here's the specific connection they have in these verses. In these verses that are all about money and all about to whom our hearts will belong, those three simple words, our Heavenly Father, make it crystal clear to whom Jesus' heart belongs. You see, if God up in heaven is going to be your Heavenly Father, Jesus had to be willing to pay an incredible price. He had to look at all the wealth in heaven and on earth, wealth that was his by right, and he had be, to be willing to say, I'm going to give it all up. I'm going to come down to earth. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to suffer unimaginable physical and spiritual agony with my death on the cross. And Jesus was willing to do all of that for you, simply so that he could call you brother. And sister, simply so that his father in heaven could also be your father in heaven, and so that his 
eternal inheritance could be your eternal inheritance. Jesus made it crystal clear that what he loved the most, that his most prized possession is simply you. In fact, it's been, it's been put this way. Both money and God are, are competing for your hearts. And money comes to you and says, if you want me, you need to sacrifice. You need to give up your time, your energy. You need to give stress and sweat. You need to sacrifice time with your family, relaxation, peace of mind and contentment. You need to give me your life. Jesus says, no, because I want you so much, I will make the sacrifice. I will give you everything. I will lay down my life for you. Which of those two masters do you think is more deserving of our heart and of our service? And if Jesus' strategy for for winning our hearts for him can be described as uncommon sense, then it it certainly shouldn't surprise us that the symptoms of what it looks like when someone is free from the control of money, that too is completely uncommon sense. Here's what Jesus says. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first, number one priority, his kingdom. It means that out of all the things that we need to do and all the ways in which we need to spend our money, number one priority is not making sure that we have and can do everything that we want. It's not even making sure that we have the basic necessities of life. It's not even making sure that we have enough saved up for retirement and for the kids' college education. It's seeking and pursuing the kingdom of God. It means that the thing that would make us most excited about how we spend our money and the thing at which we will naturally be the most generous in terms of spending our money is the thought that we could take some of our money, money that God gave us in the first place, and we could spend it in such a way that even one person would hear the saving name of Jesus, would call on the saving name of Jesus in life, in death, and in eternity. To seek first the kingdom of God. Talk about uncommon sense, right? Talk about a complete reversal of the world's priorities for your use of money. We might be tempted to think, well, who, who could really live that way or who would even want to live that way? And I think we'd have the right to raise every objection we can think of, if not for what Jesus says next. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first the kingdom of God in the way that you spend your money. Do you think that maybe your Father in heaven can find a way to make sure that you have everything that you need? I think he can. That's certainly part of what Jesus is saying here, but yet there's even more to what Jesus is saying in these words. And I wish I would have understood this, and I wish I would have remembered this back in January. See, back in January, we were over in Detroit, Michigan, visiting some family members, and we went to the Henry Ford Museum just outside of Detroit. I'm sure you recognize that name and, and recognize that as one of the wealthiest names and families in our country's history. As we toured through that museum, it was amazing at everything that that man and that family had accumulated, the wealth in that room was just staggering. In fact, one of the cars on display was this one. It was a luxury vehicle made back in 1931 called a 
Bugatti Royale, I believe is how you pronounce it. I don't know if you've heard of it before. Made back in 1931. In that year, only eight of them were made. Which means that, I don't know if you look at that and think that that's a car you would want to have, but it's an incredibly valuable car. In fact, in 1987, one of those eight was sold at auction for just under $10 million. I wish I would have remembered Jesus' words as I was standing right in front of that almost priceless vehicle. Because if I remembered Jesus' words, I would have looked at that vehicle and I would have thought to myself, that's mine. That belongs to me. Not in the sense of I'm going to hop in the driver's seat and take it for a spin, but in a very real way, that belongs to me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Follow his train of thought. Every single penny on earth, including this car, every single penny on earth belongs to whom? Belongs to our Father in heaven. And he is going to spend that money. He's going to distribute that money. He is going to manage that money in a way that brings glory to him and furthers his kingdom. So if in my heart, my number one priority is his glory and his kingdom, then I can be absolutely confident that God will spend all of the wealth that is his in exactly the same way as I would spend it if I were in charge. All of it belongs to me. C.S. Lewis put this really well one time when he said, if you chase after earth, not only will you not get earth, but you'll forfeit heaven in the process. But then he said, if you chase after heaven, not only will you get heaven, you'll get earth thrown in for free. And he didn't simply mean that if you seek first God's kingdom, suddenly there's going to be an influx of cash in your bank account. No, the world becomes yours because you have a completely new perspective about the world and all the wealth that it contains. I mean, think for a moment about what it would be like to live a life like that. A good friend of yours invites you over to their house, the brand new house that they just built that is much bigger and much fancier than yours. What if instead of getting jealous or instead of becoming discontent with what you have, like common sense would maybe tell you to do, what if you looked around that house and thought to yourself, well, that's mine, and that's mine, and that's mine. Notice how I said thought to yourself. Probably not a good thing to say out loud, but why in the world would I be discontent with with my house when, when this house is mine too? What if we looked at what we seem to be lacking in our lives and, and instead of thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to survive, what if instead of, of worrying or maybe even being tempted to be dishonest with others in our dealings with them, like, like maybe common sense would tell us to do, what if we thought to ourselves, you know, all the food that's in every grocery store and every restaurant in the world and all the clothes in every department store and fashion boutique in all the world, those are mine. Those belong to me. And I'm guessing that my Father in Heaven will find a way to make sure that I have everything that I need. Or what if we took a look at what we do have at our disposal, and instead of being completely tight-fisted with it, instead of trying to clench onto every last penny and get the most out of those dollars like the world would tell us to do, like common sense would tell us to do, we were so freely generous that people would accuse us of being foolish with our money. Because how in the world could we look at what's in our bank account. And yes, on the one hand, we say, well, that belongs to me. But I can also look at the billions of dollars that are in Bill Gates's bank account and say, that belongs to me too. Because I know that my God will use every last penny for the good of his kingdom and for his glory. And, and those are my number one priorities. Those belong to me. 
Who would want to live that way? Well, who wouldn't want to live that way? Because that is a life that is full of contentment, full of joy, full of satisfaction, and full of generosity. It is a life that is free from worry, free from selfishness, free from greediness. Who wouldn't want to live that way? It's, it's a life where that phrase means the exact opposite for us as it does for the people who don't share our Heavenly Father. It's a life where we can turn to that thing that so often convinces people to be controlled by it and we can turn and say, no money, I'm going to control you. May God grant it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.